1: Right now, get 15% off your first order at borough.com slash ACAST. That's 15%
2: off at borough.com slash ACAST. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone.
3: Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly, another chance to applaud heroic failure for England fans as the Lionesses lose the World Cup final, outplayed by Bomberti in Spain and just a little flat on the night. Imagine how good the Spanish would be if they liked their manager. Then to the Premier League, Manchester United in crisis, Ange Ball is real. Chelsea in crisis, how long do we do the perhaps they need to buy some players gags? City win this weekend's title decider, Phil Foden with his best Kevin De Bruyne impression. Brighton just keep reforming and more impressive than last time, like a... A beheaded worm, if that's how worms work. Everton are bad. Liverpool are okay. Brentford are good, and Nottingham Forest are just better than Sheffield United. There'll of course be no mention of Cambridge United being top of League One. There'll be your questions, and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today: Barry Glendenning, welcome. Hi Max. Uh, Nader Manuha. hello. Hello Max. And is it is it still the all new Barney Rone, or have you? As the season starts, do you go back to old Barney, Ron? I don't know what Barney to expect today. Hi, Max. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's perfect. <laughs> it's actually your voice changed a bit.
4: Like, is it Paul Cook? I don't know who he manages. Uh, yeah, it, it was a really unconvincing attempt to sound upbeat. I'm sorry. You know, when, have, you ever done, have you ever done one of those talking heads where well, you must have... Believed. In fact, you've probably hosted them. Those things on TV where you kind of go, well, the great thing about the 90s was everyone... Has, <laughs> they they get When I did one of those, they got someone to sit directly behind the camera, grinning, like a guy just grinning with a really quite terrifying <laughs> smile on his face, trying to make me... I think they do it to everyone, hopefully, trying to make you smile into the camera. Because when you smile, your voice sounds happier as well. So I'll try and
3: yeah. do that. Uh, keep it smiley. Yeah. Football's stupidest faces on MTV. I think I did, host, yeah, I did host something for MTV. I mean, God, if they only knew. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's get on with this. Um, a familiar agony after the World Cup final. Spain were just so much better than England, Barry, weren't they?
5: Yeah. I don't think there's any particular shame in that defeat for England. They weren't quite on it, but Spain didn't really let them be on it. Um, they were hugely impressive, by far the better team and deserving winners. And it sort of made some mockery of that hiding they got at the hands of Japan earlier in the tournament, which no one really saw coming and obviously proved to be a, a one-off aberration. Um, I'm not sure what the atmosphere is going to be like on the plane back to to Madrid or wherever, because quite obviously a sizable contingent of the Spanish So I appear to absolutely despise their manager. Uh, One of the players, very sadly, heard that her dad died after the game. And you have that um, controversy over the Spanish FA president kissing Jennifer Hermosa on the mouth, which seemed to be an unwanted celebratory uh, gesture of affection. So, yeah, it could be a a quite muted, weird atmosphere on that plane home to Spain. But... You know, they, they just have better players in nearly every department. My my antipathy for the English men's team is well-known, but I would have been quite happy to see the Lionesses win, but they, they weren't good enough.
3: Yeah, I and mean, that's right, Nadem, isn't it? There's no shame. It's a shame to lose a World Cup final, right? Because they don't come around that often, but there's no shame in losing to a team who are just better than you.
0: Um Yeah, you see... This, that's not necessarily the way football works, is it? That's why we see upsets every single year. That's why we sort of tune in to watch games on the weekend because it seems like it's going to be obvious, but you never really know. And I think for that England side, I think as a matchup standpoint, yeah, you could argue that, you know, Spain are a better team overall, but there's nothing to say that England couldn't have gotten a result, probably the same way Japan did against Spain. But things didn't necessarily go their way. And I think the influence of like Parajuelo and Bon Mati and people like this, they were just so good. It was so, so good. And the way they could sort of drive through midfield, I think on a different day, they're probably a bit more clinical as well. It's tough to just say it was done, especially when it's like 13 minutes extra, or whatever it was. And then, you know, they've, they're throwing everyone forward. You've got Millie Bright playing the big centre forward, everything like throw, kitchen sink, the kitchen sink down on there. I was watching it first-hand in HD. It was fantastic. But as I say, it feels to me, and I guess to you as well, like the better team won on the day. And I think that'll be the disappointment England have because I think they could have sort of put forward a better account of themselves. And if they did that, maybe they could have won it.
3: Mm, I did enjoy Millie Bright in the Paul Warhurst role, Barney. I mean, they should Serena Viman because like sort of universally loved, obviously won the Euros, but I don't think she got it right yesterday, did she?
4: Well, no, because they lost the game in the end. I mean, it's one of those things, isn't it? I, as I get older, I feel increasingly... I mean, obviously managers get things wrong. Managers also, as Nedim will know, see their players look them in the eyes straight up every day in training and know absolutely everything about them and sometimes make the right decisions based on things we don't know about. I mean, there was a slightly odd substitution situation, but uh, I think I kind of have to trust her. I am was glad to see Spain win because um, the Barcelona team, that's kind of the template for that team, is absolutely sensational. I mean, they're just brilliant to watch. They remind me a bit of the um, sort of early Xabi uh, Iniesta men's team. Just in terms of the idea of what they want to do with the ball and the way they keep it's just sensational. Um, it's just a really good tournament. There's no point worrying about England losing the final. It, it was a great tournament. It worked really well. Cut, cut through was really good. Um, it, it seems pointless to even talk about it, but I will talk about one thing. I, when during the final, I went to get some food, and in my house in Peckham, I was just walking down the road, and I heard uh, a really angry man's voice shouting fuck off out of an open window, which had a George Cross hanging out of it um, as England failed to score for some, you know, missed chance or something like that. And I, Are you sure it wasn't Mary Earps'
5: voice after she'd saved the penalty? I did think
4: it might have been to do with Millwall losing to Norwich at the same time, but it wasn't. There was an England flag <laughs> hanging out the window, and I thought, that's cut through. Yeah. People that angry... Um, you know, yelling stuff at their TVs on a Sunday morning, Sunday lunchtime, I thought that's great cut-through. Um, there's, there's now probably no need to even talk about cut-through anymore, which is, is is really good progress.
3: Unless, of course, they were just shouting at you, Barney. <laughs> I mean.
4: that, that's a strong possibility as well.
3: <laughs> right, look, Women's Football Weekly was released on our feed yesterday. It, it will be there if you haven't heard it yet. So go there for a full detailed rundown. We're going to do a special episode next Tuesday um, on the tournament and sort of where women's football goes from here if we're allowed to talk about cut through we'll be doing a cut through special uh, next Tuesday um, Paul says who do you think will prevail ultimately in the hotly contested competition between Manchester United and Chelsea to be the new Spurs so let's do both uh, at those games West Ham's victory over Chelsea and before that Spurs over Man United Barney you were there for this one um, you tweeted Ange What a guy. The vibes are good. It's all about the vibes.
4: Yeah, and he's amazing. I don't know what he's got. Well, I do know what he's got. He's a really good football manager and a really great guy. But I'd just love to have 1% of it. He has such charisma. Um, Just wandering around after the game, applauding the crowd, which often see feels a bit showy, but totally doesn't with him because obviously the players love him as well. They had two 20-year-olds, a 23-year-old in that team, and they were... Their best players. Um, I'm not totally sure about all of the new signings. Um, Van de Ven might it might take a while for him to get used to the Premier League. He looked a little bit lacking in sort of athleticism at times, but. Um, destiny at left back my god what a player he is I mean he is just fearless he's 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 brilliant he's gonna be such a fan favorite and he's got a manager who's just gonna let him make mistakes I feel even though he may not miss make mistakes but it's quite hard to play that rampaging role in the team that doesn't keep the ball all the time you know you're constantly making decisions of am I in the right space how do I cover the ground behind me um, you know it's a bit easier to be to be Jacques and when your team has the ball a lot uh, but he was brilliant. You know, he's 20, so confident. Um, Sarr was great in midfield as well. And it's just, I feel like Tottenham have accidentally hired the, wrong ma- the right manager. By accident, they've got someone who will make them feel happier. Because the idea that they should be winning things all the time always seemed a bit odd. Do they need a super stadium? Probably not. Um, Spurs is about having some nice occasions and some really great players and some nice days and losing some other games and and just sort of feeling happy with themselves and that was how that felt. Obviously it helped that they were playing Manchester United who, you know, there's something really quite stuck at the heart of that team um, which Ten Hag still hasn't been able to process and they started well and, and just didn't really go anywhere but it was it was Spurs day and um, they're going to be fun to watch which is just such a sort of nice thing to say after the last three seasons
3: yeah a guy called Jim replied to your tweet saying Barney he's going to win them the league I've been watching that man for two decades it's like saying you've seen a UFO on a fishing trip but I swear to God this man is is the real deal and I, it is Nadem okay that that starting 11 is quite different to an 11 that Conte was using but he's com- to completely change the style of a football team in sort of a preseason and a couple of games it's really impressive
0: yeah it is is very very impressive but I've seen the work that managers put in in preseason like they'll get you to do things over and over and over they want you to truly understand why you're doing what you're doing and you can see that the players that they have they are buying into that I don't think they're near their sort of final form in terms of really understanding and trusting it just yet um I think as Barney was saying like you know certain people will build into it in time but it is it's nice like it's it's like the exact opposite of what we've seen for the last few years and it, you know it could work but then in the same breath not to pour water on it like I'm about to but uh Please last do. week against yeah I'm not I know there's some people who aren't XG pervs but like last week Brentford was higher than Spurs's, and this week United's was higher than Spurs's as well United on a different day probably score say the Fernandes header the Anthony one where hits the post so for as bad as United were relatively speaking they're still on a different day could have gotten something from the game but just from a pure Playing standpoint, yes, I will be watching more Spurs games this year, something I never thought I would say. But then also, I, I like it. Like a team that loses their star, and so as such, the sky should be falling in, all of a sudden, they're like, they're fine. It's funny how football works, isn't it?
3: Nathan's right, Barry. On a different day, United win or definitely score. I don't, I don't know. Roy Keane, who is obviously great entertainment, I was more entertaining than Manchester United after this game, was, you know, he called them the new Spurs when he was just so. He was just so sort of bereft wasn't he it's a joy to watch a, a sort of furious and a, and a sort of wistful
5: Roy Keane well it's more I'm I'm not angry I'm just disappointed um vibe I think but yeah they, they could have scored they could have had a penalty I mean Bruno Fernandes was very exercised about that Garnacho shot that struck the hand of of Romero and I don't think anyone would have. I've seen them given, and it certainly would have been no less ridiculous than the penalty that was given against Lewis Dunk last weekend, which is now my benchmark for what constitutes a handball. So if that's a handball, then uh, this certainly was as well. And then, obviously, they hit the post. But they're, they're very easy to play through, and we saw that when they got beaten by Wolves or not beaten sorry Um, in the game they won against Wolves yeah sorry when they should have got beaten (laughs) by Wolves but somehow won the game and we saw it again against Tottenham Um, Papisar and Basuma just boss midfield James Madison was very good as well and the way Spurs got got the players forward it was just very easy for them
3: yeah I I was surprised were you surprised Barney that Ten Hag kept that midfield like Fernandez, Mount and Casemiro it may work but it, is, it hasn't worked in two games, has it?
4: Well, I mean, they're all really good players. I'm not surprised to see them playing for Man United in midfield. It's a good point. I mean, they they were really good, actually. They were good in the first half. They had 11 shots. I remember thinking, well, they really should be ahead here. But it, I kind of think I expect that from Man United with the quality of players they've got and the money and resources the club has. But it, it was the fact that they didn't... They just sort of disappeared in the second half. And were, it was so... Not easy, but, you know, Spurs were able to overturn that momentum that just felt a little bit sickly. Like, I think those players in the field would be fine because they're really good players. And I know people, Mason Mount seems to be a player that Manchester's uh, managers really like and fans don't get. And I think it's probably to do with the fact that he's very good at taking on information and really good at understanding the game plan and all the rest of it. And things you don't really see so much on the pitch. Um, and if you can't make them work together, I mean, they're, they're brilliant players. Bruno Van is a brilliant footballer, annoying as he may be. Um, his record with the club, is he's not the problem there. Um, uh, I'm sure they can make that work.
0: Do you agree with that, Adam? Uh, am I sure? Am I sure? Am I sure? Uh, okay,
4: maybe I'm not sure. Okay, I'm not sure. I I think maybe they can make it. work. <laughs> no, they,
0: they, I think what he's, the points he's made about, say, uh, Mason Mount taking on information and so on, yeah, that that's very much there. And I think we need to... Look back to, say, a year ago with um, Casemiro. He had a really slow start again. Maybe he'll grow out of that, or maybe this is who he is now. But I think if he does manage to grow out of it, then yes, they'll get better. I think when they're playing Hoyland through the middle and you've got uh, Rashford out wide and all this stuff and it starts to look familiar and everyone's in a place where they're happy, then great. But for now, you know, the more footage you show of people where your team doesn't look too good, the more encouragement the next team gets when they play against you, so... I think they need to address that sooner than later. Otherwise, I think people will really be going straight straight down their throats. Nedum, can,
4: can I can ask you a question, Nedum? Sorry.
0: Um, of course, of course um, you can. As, as you an can.
4: ex-pro, um, as someone who played yes. in an era that I remember really well, there used to be this thing in yes. football where you you have a matchup on the field, and say your winger is the first five minutes is really killing the the left back, and there'd be a thing that get get the ball to him. He's, he's that's going really well. He, you know that guy's struggling. He's tired. You know he can't. He's not to. Him. But that doesn't seem to happen so much in modern football because there's more systems play. So I keep, I've watched games quite often where one player seems to have it on another player, but the team doesn't adjust. So in this game, Rashford, a couple of times in the first 10 minutes, went past Van der Ven really easily, just too easily. It was like, oh God, this is not an equal match. That guy looks nervous. He's just, he's nutmegged him. He's got, But nothing changed. They kept playing to this system. I find it frustrating. I'm sure, no, I'm not a Premier League manager. I'm sure there's a very good reasons for doing this. But in the old days, Harry Redknapp would have said, "Get over there, get on him, kill him," and that might have been where a goal would have come from. You adapt in game. Is that something? Is that something that happens? Is that something you've noticed changing? Because it, ne- it never happened again. That matchup didn't happen again. The whole game. It was sort of the play. Ha-
0: uh, maybe maybe Van der Ven made an adjustment himself. But then also the fact you mentioned Harry Redknapp. I've got to like excuse my impression here. But when he was with me at QPR, oh,
3: I'm looking forward to it this. Went, when he
0: was with me, <laughs> so when he was with me at QPR, what
3: I really want, what I really want, name is you to, to turn around like impressions of the 80s, and okay. then come back with a wig on. One second, and, you I've, know, not like... I've not got a wig. I've not got a wig. I've not got a wig.
0: You get the ball down and you play. Good players play. You move it. You move it left. <laughs> you move it right. You move it. And then we'll be playing in the game, moving it left and right. And he doesn't like it, so we change. You say, "Get it to Bobby." Knock it up to Bobby. That's Bobby Zamora (laughs) for people that don't know. And that's exactly (laughs) what we did. And that was like our main strategy. We'd always try and start playing. And then he's like, nah, this is making me feel a bit uneasy. (laughs) Just (laughs) lumping forward to the number nine. So yeah, like playing on that sort of someone's weakness, it certainly can be a thing. But I think it's more so for teams who are really probably a bit more one-dimensional because United did create other chances as well. And I think if it's for me on the field, it's up to like Fernandes and Mount and other people to see that matchups working and to keep trying to do it because you will find yourself in certain areas. But you're right, maybe I don't think a manager is telling someone they have to play out wide or they have to do this or they have to do that. But I think some players these days don't really acknowledge how much of a weakness something can be for the opposition. So they just play the game normally. But I think the best of the best, they see what's going on and they just try and maximise that opportunity, I, I reckon.
3: Chris got in touch I think after Kilmarnock had knocked Celtic out of the League Cup saying, Max, I blame you for Ange leaving Celtic. I don't think I'll ever (laughs) be able to forgive you for that. So not just Barca Jim. There's an increasing number of Celtic fans. Let's go to the London Stadium. West Ham 3, Chelsea 1. Peter says, is it time that Chelsea dip into the transfer market to get some new players? I'm still here for these gags, Barry. It was a brilliant win for West Ham, wasn't it? It was.
5: And, you know, Chelsea weren't terrible. Uh, I thought they played quite well. They looked a little bit disjointed, which you'd expect with so many new players getting used to each other. I think there was an interesting stat on match of the day two last night. David Moyes, his last six Premier League wins over Chelsea have been against six different managers. (laughs) (laughs) A, I was surprised David Moyes has six Premier League wins against Chelsea. I, I thought West Ham would struggle really badly this season, but on the evidence of uh, this performance, they should be okay. It was a really good performance from Mikhail Antonio, who I thought was superb. And, yeah, it, it, it was a good win and one I didn't see coming. And actually, Nade, no, I'm just trying to
3: think, for a fan, how to win a game, you know, saving a penalty from the opposition... Going down to 10 men, but like sticking it out for 25 minutes or even longer, you know, and beating a rival. It's almost perfect.
0: Fantastic. You know what I mean? Scoring that goal at the end as well. So everyone can start a party and everyone decided to stay. This is why you stay. This is our football club. This is who we are. This is, you know what I mean? Like its it was a great result for them. And I think it was funny after the game, David Moyes was really bigging up Chelsea. They're such a good side. I watched them last week. They were incredible. I think <laughs> he's after bonus points in the league as well. Didn't get one extra if the team you played against is just that much better. <laughs> yeah, they—they they, it was West Ham would be a tough matchup for a lot of for a lot of teams because they are sort of pretty physical. Did you see the stat that went up when uh, Ward Prowse was taking a corner about who ch- created the most chances from set pieces? It was like Ward Prowse at Southampton and then three West Ham players, I think it was. So he falls perfectly into a system that will put you under pressure with Antonio leading liner, whoever it may be, constantly grafting Bowen doing the same thing. Ben Rama really taking it to you, and in that stadium, when the crowd get going, it's a tough place to go. I never loved going to West Ham, to be honest.
3: Yeah, I, I wondered Barney if Ward Prowse would go higher. Like, but for a team that may flirt with relegation, he's just going to get you goals and free kicks and assists, like he did yesterday. Yeah, I mean,
4: West Ham did win a European trophy last year. I mean, he—that's no, a good point. He's gone to a, a good team. I, I think in a team like West Ham. Subtracting Declan Rice and adding James Ward-Prowse, who's a brilliantly effective footballer, really experienced, isn't necessarily a, a massive negative, is it? Maybe even a positive. Um, he's, he's not playing to go anywhere else. He's not, you know, he just knows exactly how to be in that team. But this was just great, though, wasn't it? Because this is why football is, is still good. No matter what you chuck at it, it never breaks. Not yet, anyway, because you've got a team that spent a billion quid to become worse. Um, losing to a team with Tooting and Mitcham's um, Antonio who just was fantastic and understands exactly how to play his role. Um, and I loved watching him, and that was just great to watch.
3: Chelsea have a relegation six-pointer against Luton on Friday <laughs> night, Barry. Their next three fixtures, Luton, Forrest and Bournemouth. Luton, who actually went up the table by not playing, which is great. <laughs> this um, I mean, Luton, Forrest, Bournemouth. Then... You know, if nothing happens then, then, you know, I don't know if Maurizio Pochettino should start worrying.
5: Well, if if Luton's ground renovations are delayed and delayed and delayed, is there a chance Luton could win the league without playing any <laughs> any, game, any home games? You know, th- those on paper should be reasonably straightforward for Chelsea, but we, we don't know. Who we, knows?
3: We don't know. We'll find out as Charlie Baker... Our colleague at TalkSport says you can end any football conversation with, we'll see. And he's absolutely right. Uh, That'll do for part one. Uh, Part two, uh, we'll begin at the Etihad.
1: Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy to assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Borough order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at borough.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at borough.com slash ACAST.
2: Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team,
3: Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. James, says not a question, but I'll be flying solo to the Bristol live show. As my friends, shockingly, aren't as addicted to this podcast as I am. I'm looking forward to two hours of vasectomy chat. Uh, Yeah, we're going on tour, starting in London uh, on the 13th of November at the Troxy in uh, East London. Uh, Bristol on the 14th, Manchester on the 15th, uh, residency in Dublin 20th and the 21st. And Brighton on the 22nd. Uh, We're just lining up. Uh, the panels for each of those, uh, we'll let you know what they are. Um, and uh, we're live streaming the Brighton gig on the 22nd. So wherever you are on earth, you can buy a ticket. Theguardian.com slash FWTour23. Uh, Man City 1, Newcastle nil. Phil's name like this game was all about Phil Foden and whether he can fill Kevin De Bruyne's role <laughs> or be it in a slightly <laughs> different way. Wow. And he played really well.
0: There's been clamour for Phil Foden to play centrally for a long time. and It's good to see him doing it. I think he tried to do it in the midweek game in the Super Cup and it wasn't really to any avail. And I think it depends on the nature of the team that you play against. I think if you play against teams with a really defensive mindset, lower block and close the middle and force City out wide, then it almost seems like he's a waste in there because he can't go and affect the game. But in other games where he can get his foot on it, he can be dynamic with his runs, can be looking for the pass. He's so good. Like I think... Because of how last season went, I like forget that he's like Wonder Boy and being someone you know who supports City who came through the academy. Like he's the guy; he's so good, and he's the way he controls the ball. It feels like uh, here's an old school reference to people. Do you remember when you used to have those um, little training aids where you like attach something to your ankle and the balls on a string, and it never leaves Mm, a certain radius?
3: I I, I, I bought one in COVID just to play on my own. Yeah,
0: like that—that's how he sort of like controls the ball. It's never too far in front of him. Never. Like he's always just got it. Literally on a string, so he's and you know I'm really happy for him. I think he was really frustrated last season, given the fact that when push came to shove, he was not one of the first names that was on that team sheet where years before he had been. So he's in there, obviously at the expense of say De Bruyne, who could be out for a long time now. But he's looking good, he's looking confident, looking healthy, and yeah, I'm uh I like it. I think uh I think he's going to do well this season. I mean
3: that's, that's an interesting point, point. and mean, we were talking sort of ridiculously about. You know, making decisions on the first two games. But like over a season, Foden Barney didn't have that brilliant a season. So then you start thinking, is he in Pep's plans? Does he? Is this the end of him at, you know, insert, you know, top level club, which is obviously ridiculous given his talent. Yeah, I
4: don't think Guardiola thinks like that as well. He's just totally ruthless on the next game. So how do we win? Um, people do drop out of that team for a while and then come back when he needs them. He loves Phil Foden. I mean, Foden is totally key to that whole thing. But, again, I don't think it's an emotional thing. Uh, but he doesn't he does know how how good he is. Um, uh, and even though Foden wasn't a main player, I don't think of him playing a lot last season. He did still have a lot of, um, you know, just on the numbers, there were a lot of goals and goal involvements. He, he still played quite a key part. And they did win the treble, so something went right there. Um, seemed to be some some good decisions made along the way. The thing I took from this game was just the... Um, a. That City were obviously tired, a uh, few injuries, and to win that game while just keeping those very good Newcastle team at arm's reach, that's why they were so pleased at the end, because that's the sort of game you just put the points in your back pocket and it just feels good, that's, we've done the right thing there, we don't need to ever think about that again, three points, fine, have a rest, move on. Uh, and also the sadness um, of seeing a seated Jason Tyndall, which I haven't seen yet. And it just he was still manic. He was still doing stuff with pads and iPads and angry. But he was seated. It was kind of like someone had shaved Aslan's mane. <laughs> <laughs> Just very, very sad to see. I hope he still feels okay, that he's he's still having the influence he, he obviously wants to have.
3: Is it the rule that the manager can only stand there or only one person can? Like, could Eddie House sit down for 20 minutes to give Tyndall to sort of set him free?
4: Only one member of
5: coaching staff can stand at the front right. of the technical area. But should he wish to, Jason can stand at the back of the technical ah. area. So he doesn't have to be right. seated.
4: How clearly defined is the back of the? Because at West Ham they've got that enormous thing, it's like the size of a football pitch, <laughs> and then at Chelsea they've got three meters. Yeah. Um, wh- where can he stand? I, th-
5: I think he's not allowed join Eddie in the middle of or at the front of the technical area. It's it's like a an Irish teenage school disco. There has to be a certain amount of space between them. So no nothing untoward can happen. Leave room for the Holy Spirit. That's what the nuns would have said, Barney. <laughs> 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 but
4: this is, like, this is like dirty dancing, isn't it? So we could see a sort of revel- old Morse tossed aside the liberation of the early 60s as Jason comes leaping out, cartwheeling into the arms of his manager mm. again. But I, I, I kind of... It was weird the way he was always stood next to Eddie Howe and getting involved in the kind of interactions. I like a single, crisp, <laughs> clean clear optic of one manager pointing and shouting that feels good yeah i also
3: like i also like an assistant manager to be very short like is it jesus perez the pochettino's sammy lee yeah sammy lee i think that's really i like that uh you know that is a combination i like is it always good cop bad cop i mean is the is, is the manager always really tough and the assistant manager's really nice
0: not always, no. I think because there's more coaching staff as well. So it might be the assistant to the assistant that you sort of speak to now. Some like the guy who, if the manager has a true, true sidekick, you can barely even access him sometimes. But then there's that other person that has to go and put the cones out. You know, that guy who pretend to be, oh, you know, how are you guys feeling? Are you guys okay? You all, you all a bit tired? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, I'm tired, I'm tired. Next thing you drop for the weekend because he's told the manager that you not you don't have the right mindset. But yeah, there's there's so many people that you can connect with that you can connect with. But I wouldn't necessarily say the assistant manager is the one who you go to because he's just that little bit too close to the manager. So yeah, uh it's not always good cop, bad cop. It's just those cops over there and me over here, just like trying to do a training drill.
3: Wolves won Brighton four. Um Brighton again, Barry sold a lot of their best players. They've won their first two games four one the top of the league.
5: Yeah, and hugely impressive. Wonderful goal from Cairo Matoma. Oh, Amazing. Who famously did a thesis in university on dribbling, and I think part of that thesis included him wearing a GoPro while dribbling. And I wish he'd been wearing one uh, around his head um, for that goal against Wolves, because of the way you know he he cut inside and then he kept enough pace in reserve to be able to accelerate between the the defenders and then a very composed finish, but. Brighton are just a hugely impressive outfit and Wolves. Yeah, they'd already look like they're going to struggle this season. They're missing chances, not really getting in the penalty area as well. Actually, Matoma when he set up the goal for uh, Estepinan, I don't know how he didn't break his ankle the way he, like, cut that, chopped that ball back. I, I thought I was going to hear a snap of his ankle bone, but yeah, it was it was a brilliant performance from Brighton.
3: In his thesis, uh, the thing he noticed was that people, the best dribblers didn't look at the ball. They were just looking around the whole time, which was a sort of totally ridiculous level of football. So, I mean, surely...
5: Well, I, I remember doing an interview with Pat Nevin once, and he, he always said, you know, why would you need to look at the ball? You know where the ball is. So you keep your head up so you can look around. If you're looking at the ball, then you can't see who's available to mm, to pass to or cross to.
3: I mean, only one of us has scored an amazing, amazing dribbled goal.
0: Oh, you want to tell you how I did it? Were you looking at the ball? I wonder if you were looking at the ball. Oh my gosh. Do you know what? Um, it's it's a mix because at some point, like you do kind of need to look at the ball, even if it's in your periphery, but it's more so reading the shapes of those around you. Like, I'm not, you know, that guy that people You're are making of, it sound like
3: you scored a lot of these goals, Ned. In training, I scored a lot.
0: Yeah. <laughs> in training, <laughs> I scored a lot of these goals. But same yeah. with, like, Matoma and other people like that. They're very good at reading your body shape and body language. If you look like you're going to go down the line, they'll make a last-minute adjustment. But if you're just looking solely at the ball, you can't really see what they're going to do. And I think it's like, um, I'm going to mention a name which maybe you haven't said in a while, but because it's this podcast, maybe you have. Back in the day, Steve Guppy step over, down the channel, cross coming in. You know, that, that it doesn't matter if there's a defender there. That's the move. Whereas these days with some of the best dribblers, as I say, they're reading you. They're taking little touches, little touches, little touches and waiting to see when you're going to bite. And they're either going to go the opposite way or they're going to try and fake you out. You know what I mean? So there's more, in my subjective, in my opinion, there's more of an art to it now. Because as I say, you don't know what they're going to do because they don't have signature moves. They just have the ability to get past you based on the way that they can manipulate your weight to go one way or the other. And that will come from watching you as opposed to just staring at the ball.
4: I remember reading a description of uh, Harry Redknapp as a player um, in an old football book. And he Harry he was a winger. And apparently he had one move where he would toe poke. He was famous for his toe poke and run. He would toe poke the ball past the fullback and run because he had very good acceleration. And his, ent- <laughs> his entire career, every game was based on replicating that enough times they would occasionally, in the end, work. He was like Stanley Matthews, but without the famous, uh, you know, swerve, body swerve. I,
5: th- I think that was Kevin Kilban's signature move as well. Without the acceleration for, for Kevin. Was that was that too harsh?
3: <laughs> Very harsh oh, I on think the playing
5: slightly harsh. Playing
3: careers of Kilban, Guppy and Redknapp there in one fell swoop. Uh, um, whatever works. On paper, Barney, like Brighton don't look great. Like you look at that team and you sort of think, well, that back four. Really? Really? Milner's Do right- you? Do you? Well, I, I, maybe I'm just completely underestimating Webster and Dunk and James Milner
4: and sort of Pascal Gross and Billy Gilmore. Look, they're good. What, pa- what paper are you looking at, though? Are you looking at um, have they played for Man United or are you looking at the numbers of their performances in the Premier League? Mm. not sure what I'm looking at. I'm just saying it's my... T- I mean, I think they are really good. Like, did you see inCISO's pass uh, for, oh, the, for yeah. the, I think, the second? Yeah, amazing. Season, I mean, he is so good. He's about 18 or 19. And that was just so perfectly done. I mean, he's a really, really good player. Um, I think we can accept they're good now, can't we?
3: Right.
4: Yeah. Did you see Mateus Nunes' red card as well? In the, yes. the 90th minute, you're four-one <laughs> down, and he was doing like it was like Roadhouse, another <laughs> Patrick Swayze vehicle. Was just piling up the bodies. Like, how was he expecting <laughs> to walk off the field? You just so, they'd gone, absolutely gone. You know, his manager must be furious.
3: Soly much, a couple of goals for him um, is a wonderful player. Southgate was there to watch him. Perhaps he'll get on that plane soon. Villa four, Everton nil. I think my favourite moment of the weekend. Was Jordan Pickford trying to claim to the referee that he hadn't caught Ollie Watkins, but hobbling towards the ref, a <laughs> bit like the knight from the Holy Grail, because he sort of totally knacked himself, but was still trying to say, "I haven't caught him." Nadiam Everton are not; they're not great at this stage. I mean, I, mean I don't need, like I don't need, a, good, I don't need at this stage. I guess they're just not
0: great. Okay, so to add a bit more balance, um the game last week, it was like I think they should have scored like and the biggest problem is you know their inability to score this week obviously Correct. they didn't score again but then also mm. they were like gifting goals to villa and it's a good villa side you know going to villa park will be a tough game for all the teams to go there this season but when both sides of the game aren't going well especially this early when you've had like 6 weeks to practice it and a previous like 6 weeks to try and forget about the season before it just feels like this is just rolled over into the next season and that's not what you want at all and when your fans are leaving early after the first game of the first away game of the season, it's not um I imagine the mood in the camp isn't great. And you just sort of wonder whether can your confidence be low, basically eight days into a season? Can it be? Because it kind of looked that way for some of those guys. But they're not, you know, I was speaking about this yesterday. They're not they're not a bad side. They're not a bad side. But, you know, when the striker comes back and he's been injured and all of a sudden his face is just a mess, so he's got to come off. And then I think, uh, well, we got injured as well. And then you just concede in right, left and centre. The next thing, the highlight that starts with you having a throw in and then five seconds later, someone's running through one on one and you go, like, this is so, like, that's Ashley Young. He's such a good player, such a good guy. He's been playing since, you know, like, I don't know, 20 years. He's been playing 20 years. He's probably never done that in his career. But all of a sudden he's caught that sort of funk that existed within the team for this game. But I think there'll be better. I don't know if they'll be alright, but I'm 100% sure that they can get better and this isn't their level. But they just need to figure out these mistakes before it just ends up they're in a place where they're just getting laughed at, basically.
3: Poor old Dominic Loon looked quite like a hamster, didn't he? I mean, I hope he's alright. It, sort of, it was a sort of terrible misfortune that he's had, and he's such a good player if he can be fit. Sean Dyche, Barry, said, I could have taken the whole team off at half-time, which seems like something from Sean Dyche bingo, and it would be nice if managers got the option to do that once a season to just change <laughs> yeah. change all 11. No, no, no,
0: no, 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 no. no. The problem with that, it's all well and good saying it, but there are also a lot of managers who look at their bench and say, nah, I don't <laughs> want you out there either. I think what they're looking for is just a complete forfeit of the game. Um,
3: but, but, Barry, how do they I mean, how do they rectify this? It seems too early to be saying things like that. I was about to say, on paper, they look quite good, but they don't look as good as Brighton. I don't, It's a different paper. Uh, <laughs>
5: they already resemble a team whose main tactic for staying up is going to be really ho- hoping really hard that three teams are worse than they are. And that's kind of what's kept them up in the past two seasons. You know, some awful mistakes. Their defending was diabolical. Dominic Calvert-Lewin came back in, and then you know he's he just if to, if he didn't have bad luck, he'd have no luck at all. And I think what's worrying on a number of levels is Alex Iwobi went off injured with what looks like it might be a you know a bad one. And I think if they lose him, they're screwed. And I think if you're that reliant on someone like, with the greatest of respect, Alex Alex Awobi, then you're already in trouble. Um, he's a decent player, but I, I, I think he would be a, a terrible loss for them. You know, that, that performance was absolutely dismal. Hmm. And Villa
3: are good, Barney. I mean, like, they've had to cope with Tyrone Mings and Buendia going out. I mean, obviously, they got hammered by Newcastle, then they hammered Everton. And I presumably, the real Aston Villa is sort of somewhere in between those two. I guess
4: so. I mean, they've got a really good manager um, who's probably a bit underrated, in this country because things weren't good at Arsenal but you know that guy really hes in Spain they consider him one of the greatest managers in the world um, because of his success um, with teams with Ville in the in their name so um, he's obviously hit a rich seam there as well they, they look totally happy to be doing what he's asking them to do uh, and he seems to be at a club where um, it's just the right level for the players to totally buy into his messages and, uh, yeah, they're, they're really fun to watch.
3: All right, that'll do for part two. Part three, I'll begin at Anfield. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Um, at Liverpool 3, Bournemouth 1. So I got to match the day without knowing the scores. So I instantly presumed that Bournemouth had won this game. And then when it was 3-1 in the 62nd minute, I was waiting for this kind of extraordinary Bournemouth comeback. And then... You know, sometimes match-of-the-day games, just there's a chance and it says full-time. I was just totally bemused. I was like, ah, oh, Saturday's football must have been terrible.
5: Sorry, why did you presume Bournemouth won this game?
3: Because it was leading match-of-the-day. So, okay. you know, match-of-the-day had chosen this, I was, and then Bournemouth took the lead. I was like, ah, oh, this is going to be this amazing victory. And then it sort of turned out to be a, I don't know, I don't know if it was a routine win for Liverpool. You're obviously Bournemouth's seed, chief watcher this season, Barry. Um, what did you make of it?
5: I wouldn't say it was routine. Liverpool got off to a really bad start. Liverpool generally, and and Alisson and Trent Alexander-Arnold in particular, uh, they were very lucky not to concede in, I think it was the first minute, and then they did concede in the third. But they gradually turned things around, and I suppose won quite comfortably in the end, despite being down to 10 men with uh, Alexis McAllister being sent off for that studs-up challenge on Ryan Christie, which some people think seem to think was harsh. I, I thought it was fair enough, Red. I thought Bruno got away with a similar one in the Newcastle game. I can't remember who he tackled, but uh, he didn't get sent off. McAllister did, so, you know, all we want is consistency, Jeff, etc., and so on. Um, But, yeah, it was a decent win. Uh, Dominic like absolutely top class in this game. He He... If he can maintain you know, similar levels of performance on a consistent basis, Liverpool have got themselves
4: a real player there, you'd have to say. He's wonderful, Barney, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, he looks a really good player. He seems like a very happy, handsome, nice young man as well. Um, but again, it's only two games into the season and Premier League is <laughs> so gruelling, especially playing midfield. You know, it's really a, a hard. I, we have seen people look quite good in opening games. I don't, he's young, I'd give him... Give him a while, you know, uh, before piling on him in February when he's not producing the same high level against really top teams. But he does look very promising, and I'm sure Jurgen Klopp understands how to sign midfielders. Um, I thought the um, McAllister sending off was a bit harsh, just because I thought I thought referees were trying to project a kind of we're not going to get bogged down in these, we're going to let it let it run, or not send people off so much. There seems to be a cooling down with the micro handballs. Um, there's not been any statement about that that I've noticed, but they seem to have stopped giving them. And there also seems to be a move not to send people off for stuff where you are you might pull someone's arm and they fall over and they could have run in on goal. They seem to have cooled with that. I think there is a guidance on that. So I thought um, the kind of stuff that proper football men say, that's never a red card, was actually not going to be a red card. But this was seemed to belong more to the idea that Anything with your studs up is dangerous, and you'll get sent off for
3: it. Nadine what have you made of the Caicedo to Lavia to Endo midfield drama of for, for Liverpool?
0: I think it's been humbling for a, a lot of Liverpool fans. Really has, uh, because you know it seems like for some they can't compute the fact that going to Chelsea might be a better move for anyone for any reason at all. When you could go to Liverpool, especially at a point where you know everyone can see that Liverpool have a very clear need in that position. So. It's not great that you kind of were out there knowing that, of making sure people knew that you needed or you wanted these two players and they both said no. I can't remember the last time people said no to Liverpool, but they've, they've arrived at Endo and I'm sure he was part of the group of people who they were thinking about getting. But due to the way that it's sort of been led by PR and just the general sort of uh, narrative, it does feel like he's third choice. But he might have been, you know, he might have been someone who they value just as highly, say, a Lavia or, or so on. But this still feels like they may be a bit short in there, especially now that Macaulay is going to be out potentially for is it a couple of games or whatever it is. But this is this is football. I'm sure it's going to it's gonna G them up. And they, they would have been disappointed with signers in the past. But yeah, to be that open, to be the team that we're going to go and spend 100 mil when they said they'd never spend 100 mil, to then say, well, don't worry, you don't have to spend 100 mil because he's not coming I'm sure that is humbling, but they'll they'll be fine. I think it's 13 games unbeaten for them, continuing from last season in the Premier League. So it's not all doom and gloom from their side, I would say.
3: Tom says, Endo, Liverpool's new signing, wore a gum shield. My favourite football accessory since Edgar Davids' famous glasses. What are the panel's favourite, most notable accessories? I mean, any any athlete in glasses, I'm a massive fan of... um, Huey Teep, the hurdler that no one remembers, he was always in lane one when Colin Jackson and Tony Jarrett were in four and five. I mean, Ed Mose is arguably a more famous hurdler, but I, I sort of can't think beyond a, it's, it's quite hard to have
0: Kathy ex- Freeman, is it Sydney 2000 Olympics when she had the full bodysuit on the full bodysuit overhead? Suit. overhead yeah. yeah, I remember that one. Yeah, she's like
3: one. a footballer in that, quite <laughs> nice. It's maybe you never, know. It's, you never hard, know it's quite hard to have it's quite hard to have accessories isn't it you know yeah. even at my level yeah you, have to take, to take you have to take earring i have to take all my earrings off and my my and my BA Baracus chains have to go before i step onto the field yes Barney do,
4: do you remember that fad for having a massive smear of Vicks on the front of your shirt and i think Robbie Fowler twinned it with a kind of nose like a swimming no- nose thing to open his i don't know yeah. why <laughs> he needed that little bit more oxygen through his nostrils um but uh, Nedham, you probably played with a massive smear of Vicks on your shirt at some point.
0: When it was big is when I was younger. And I always used to wonder, like, will I ever do this? And I did it, like, two, three <laughs> times. Biggest waste of time ever imagined. Like, don't copy everything you see. It's nonsense, my friend. Nonsense.
3: Capinosity says, with Phil Billing now simply known as Philip, what past players' rebrands have succeeded or fails? And which players could rebrand in the future? Some people suggesting, Barney, it's it's your fault that he's taken Billing off because... He found paperless such a disappointing nickname that he's gone. <laughs> he's gone straight to <laughs> Philip. Um, anyway, uh, Fulham nil, Brentford three. Uh, tough day for Fulham. Um, uh, losing that game, losing Mitrovic to Al Hilal for uh, a deal that's worth about fifty million. And as you actually touched on, Nathan, no Ivan Tony doesn't matter. Mbwemo and Bremo and wisser have scored in in both of their opening
5: games.
0: Yeah, do you say it was three nil? So that's five in two games without the second top scorer or third top scorer in the Premier League last season.
5: I think it's 11 in five games
0: if you include
5: the three at the end of
0: last season. Wow, They're finished. They're finished. Just call it quits. Send them back to the championship. They're not going to be able to do it. No, I think teams just... Teams adapt and they're always going to be... Well, not always because we don't know how football works, but they seem like a side. They're still very well organised, but the threat's just a little bit different. Instead of having the... You know, that tall striker that will pin any person on planet earth and try and link up other people. You've got Umbumo's, you've got Vistas, you've got people just bombing forward and that sort of speed. It like speed gets you speed kills and them having that threat will always make the opposition not try not to overcommit a bit too much. But unfortunately for Fulham, that wasn't going to be their day on Saturday. But yeah, I still like Brentford. They they reach this point. I'll hold my hands up. I hold my hands up, Max. I've got my biases, yeah. I play for Q I played for QPR. I'm not supposed to like Brentford. Okay. I'm not supposed to like them, but they're decent. I think everything about the way the club runs is decent. And I wish that like QPR could have been like that from back then. You'd
3: never have got Chris Samba for, you know, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's
0: Chris Samba yeah. for 100 grand a week. Of course not. But it's like two clubs going in completely different directions, but one seems like it's sustainable. Whereas the other ones, and it's like it's the fifth remake of the club in the last five years or something. But they're, they're so, they're good and they're like, they feel like this solid Premier League. They're a solid Premier League club and team, and I never thought I'd say that, but as I see it, I see no reason why they would be anything less. It makes just makes perfect sense. So, credit to them. Yes, I am biased, but yeah, they're they're really really good.
3: Marco Silver was not happy with the officiating. Barry, he said there'll be over two hundred yellow cards in the first ten weeks, which sounds actually quite fun, doesn't it? But I thought Tim Ream was really unlucky, especially to get a second yellow. I wasn't even sure it was a penalty, but I'm, I'm, I'm happy to for anyone to disagree with me.
5: Well, I wasn't. I couldn't figure out whether he got the second yellow for the foul in inverted commas on Wissa, or for dissent after the penalty was given. I still don't know, um, so I, I can't really comment on that. I have a feeling it might have been for dissent, but I think he was entitled to complain because it looked a very very soft penalty. I I wasn't sure it was a foul. There was a way worse challenge in the Man U game. I think it was Lissandro Martinez barged into um Romero and that went unpunished. But yeah, I I I don't know why Ream got got sent off. I thought, I thought it was very harsh. But Fulham didn't make life easy for them. So anyway, they, they gifted the the goal to to Brentford and then Decor Cordova Reed hit the crossbar, and then they Brentford got that soft penalty. But you know the worry was, and we touched on this in the pre-season pod, that Brentford would struggle without Tony, and they're showing no signs of doing that at all.
3: I'm I'm all for the res- respect campaign, but I thought Darren Bond was quite brandishy as a referee. I thought he was there was a bit of pub bouncer about him. You know, I'm in control of this, and you know out you go of the slug and lettuce even though it doesn't seem reasonable
0: you say you're up for the you you like the respect campaign but yes (laughs) there (laughs) was a but that's what everyone says i i believe in the respect campaign but you are terrible and i'm not happy about it that's basically what you would say to every ref
3: i have told this story before that i was yelling at a ref on a pitch in a sort of polite way and he did say to me, I read an article you'd written in the Guardian that week about the Respect <laughs> campaign, which was quite a comeback. So I said, no, fair enough.
0: It's, hey, it's, all, it's all fun and games until you're playing the game itself. Yeah. And then all of a yeah. sudden, White like, Line like, fever. Like, come on,
3: mate. Phil says, how do the Saudis decide, on, on Mitrovic going to Al-Halal, how do the Saudis decide who gets which player? They don't bid against each other, because that would be weird. Are they trying to create even teams or better and worse teams so the top ones can rival the European teams? Eventually, I'm interested in your take, Barney, on that whole this this event that had happened this summer.
4: Uh, it is an interesting point. I mean, it sounds like he's a, a, making a joke, but five of those teams are, have the same ownership, which is the Saudi investment fund. So they, they are essentially, why would they not be trying to balance it out? Presumably, the point is to create a strong league. They're all owned by the same entity, which is essentially the Saudi state. So you'd imagine they might. If not, why not? You're spending hundreds of millions of pounds, well, why don't you tr- have some communication, which is not an, an odd thought. I can't stop talking about this subject, even though I don't really want to talk about it much. I, I sort of got in trouble at the weekend for sending a tweet about Saudis and Newcastle. But it's just one of those moments where something really strikes you. I'll tell you what I was doing, um, just because it makes me sound stupid. I was um, I was in Sainsbury's car park picking up a machine cut, rubberized boot mat um, uh from the used approved lexus shop on ebay it's probably the most partridge thing i've ever done it's almost like a parody of partridge <laughs> were
5: you wearing string driving gloves of course um
4: yeah as i was doing that i was listening to the radio and they were doing a story about the fact that petrol prices have unfortunately gone up and it was talk sport and they so they tried to tie it to sport And they said, um, you know, this means football fans will have to pay more for every away trip. And, for example, Newcastle United fans will now pay X amount more for a trip to here. I kind of wondered if it was irony, because obviously what they're pointing to there is the incredible interconnectedness of all these things. In that Saudi Arabia is the world's greatest, largest single oil producer, the major part of OPEC. The reason oil prices have gone up is because there's been a managed and deliberate cut in production by Saudis. And TalkSport chose to link this to Newcastle United fans having to pay more for their petrol, which is a really clever, semi-satirical way of linking the fact that, um, yes, you get to enjoy this massive investment in your team, but you are in effect paying for it with your petrol prices. That's where the money comes from. It's not magic money. can come from nowhere. And in trying to point this out, I think I may have looked a bit like I was jeering at Geordies and saying how you deserve your your petrol price rises, but I really wasn't. It's just that cognitive dissonance that we have of trying to work out these very complicated things that are happening to our game, which are all all highly interconnected. So there you go. People can become offended again.
3: Does the um does the mat fit the Lexus?
4: Yeah, it's really good. Uh, you know, it's 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 like it's a dream. I'm going for the football mats as well now. It was a trial run.
3: It didn't make the edit in uh um, take me out when. Um, Paddy McGuinness went, let the mat meet the Lexus. It just wasn't, that, that never made it, did it? Um, Nadim, you had your hand up, I mean, about 10 minutes ago, but.
0: Yeah, it, it was, it's one of those things, that, did, it, did I miss the moment? Maybe I did. Um, it's when you were talking about, say, how they decide which player goes to where. In my mind, then that took me to when I went to MLS actually, and you find out that that's the same right. system there. So Lee, I didn't know at the time when I went, that the league or the owners can decide who signs for which club. So if a player's coming in that somebody doesn't like, they can just veto and stop the player entering the league, which I didn't know about at all. And even say someone like Messi coming in, like everyone sanctioned that. Some of these leagues, that they, they run very differently to how we see things. And I was surprised about MLS. But yeah, that's kind of the way it is, because I've heard of players get told that, no, you can't join the league, because maybe there's some, an issue that somebody had with someone once upon a time. So yeah, as I say, it's not to take away from the point you're making about Saudi Arabia, but... What MLS is very different to how a lot of people perceive it to be.
4: Well, that's very interesting. I guess it's the same thing. It's like they have a draft in US sports, and uh, it's not just seen as a massive free for all. So, if they're doing that in MLS, uh, they must be doing it in the Saudi League. Why not? You know, you're trying to make an even even league, I guess.
3: The last game: Forest 2 Sheffield United. One, we don't have a huge amount of time. Um, So, Barry, give us a one-minute prasey of what you thought of this game. Whole minute. Um, Ah, okay. Yes. uh,
5: I thought Forest deserved to win. I thought they would win more comfortably than they did. Sheffield United scored a fantastic goal. Gustavo Hamer on the from the edge of the penalty area curled one into the top corner. And your favourite knight, Sir uh provided the two assists for Forest. Yeah, had in a great team, game, didn't and he? And Chris Wood, who I believe isn't all that popular among Forest fans. I could be wrong on that, but. He he scored with a diving or sort of glancing header as Chris would. You t- you tend to associate him with more of a meaty headed goal, but uh, he'll he'll take anything he can get at the moment. And yeah, Forrest deserving winners, but left it
0: late. Uh, this may be a deeply, deeply unpopular opinion. Yeah, deeply unpopular, yeah. But I think that the fact that everyone else around the world can watch english games but we couldn't watch that game on friday i think that's wrong and i think it's the the football sports association that say it should stay the way that it is but i think the world is in a different place now in 2023 than it was in the 60s when it first started and i think that the effect that they believe it would have had then would be different to what it is today so i find it peculiar still that literally everyone else can keep a track of what's going on real time We've commentators there because we see it in the highlight shows and so on. And I think there should be a way for people in the UK to be able to watch the games of football that they want to see. Because not everyone is going to be in a position to go to a game or want to go to a game. And I think those people can be afforded the chance to watch matches of football instead of just having to see it blacked out, even though it's essentially just down the road.
3: I mean, that's different to the 3pm blackout as well. I mean, I don't know if you think the 3pm blackout shouldn't happen either.
0: No, that's the point because that game was meant to be part of the 3pm blackout. That's why it wasn't on TV.
3: It was on Friday night, wasn't it? No, but it wasn't
0: on TV. It wasn't on TV. They moved it, they brought it forward because they were worried about like fan safety and congestion because I think there was a game at Trent Bridge at the same time on Saturday. So that's why they brought it forward. So that game on the game that was on TV on Friday evening was Leeds against West Brom. Right. Whereas the Forest game you could see after 10 p.m. Right. And again, obviously I could watch it well yeah because yeah. you, you know you're one of those like yeah. foreigners aren't you yeah, but yeah, yeah but yeah, everyone else right. in the uk had to wait till 10 yeah there you go maybe it's unpopular but people i'm sure people let us know
3: yeah i mean there's a difference between 3pm on a saturday i understand efl clubs wouldn't want that
0: you know and but but what look, you say that you say that max you say that you say that but why wouldn't they want that tell me well
3: again. i think there are you know cambridge played bristol rovers on saturday if Liverpool, Bournemouth is on TV. I reckon some of those fans are also Liverpool fans and would watch Liverpool on TV over Cambridge or Bristol Rovers.
0: And by some, you mean the majority or just a few? No,
3: just a few, but you know, every fan counts, I guess.
0: I, I think
4: the point is that um, the direction of travel is there is no shortage of football to watch on television. It's really not a problem. And anything that preserves just a little bit the human in-stadium experience, which is what the wealth and success of this game is based on is probably a decent kind of regulation. Although yeah, you can always I'm not argue sure. against
0: it. Yeah, but like I, I take I take on board the point that you're making, but maybe it's anecdotal, but a lot of the football fans I know that want to go to a stadium want to go to a stadium and will go whether a game's on TV or it's not. So that's the point which I see because how long is that gonna like carry on? If,
4: if we if we undermine it, how long will that be there? Will that be there in twenty years?
0: Just it's we... it's the option. It's the option. And I think it's the fact that we also believe that, you know, everyone wants to be watching the Premier League games all the time. Like things itself, I don't think they're that binary. And there are times where like Attendances fluctuate within Football League and say and the Premier League as well. And it's not based on whether a game's on TV. It's just whether someone actually wants to go. And I think giving people the option isn't the worst idea in the world, in my opinion. But like I say, I'm sure it's going to be an unpopular one.
4: No, I think it is popular. People like choice. Choice and providing things is the direction of the world. There isn't a lot of regulation. But I, I just think this one actually is trying to preserve something of value that's actually a source of strength that could quite easily disappear. It's really weird in this country that we still have such big attendances lower down the pyramid, and I think it's a good thing.
3: Finally, Joshua says, I bumped into Jonathan Wilson on the train yesterday and we had a lovely little chat. When he got off, the woman sitting next to me asked me if he was a celebrity, and I had to debate whether he was or not. I decided that he was in some circles. Would you count Wilson as a celeb? Barry?
5: Um, Well, I suppose if he's being recognised by strangers on trains, uh, then he has some... Celebrity cachet. The correspondent says they had a nice chat. I suspect Wilson probably didn't enjoy it because he'll have wanted to work. <laughs> and this man clearly interrupted him. And now I may be doing our, our listener a disservice, but I'm going to go out and a limb and say Wilson would have preferred not to have been bothered.
4: Well, I, I can I say two things on that? Don't underestimate the intense... Um, eager maniacal amateur proper of Wilson. <laughs> Actually, he would have pretended, to, pretended not to like it, but been. Also, he's really famous because um, Ted Lasso, biggest yes. one of the biggest shows in the world. His book is in was in I think the opening credits or the opening scene. Like it's been a, a massive thing for him. You know, after hanging around waiting for him to write, him to write um, inverting the pyramid two rather than continual updates. It's just had a sort of mid career shot in the arm. It's the sweet Caroline. And yeah. he's the Neil Diamond of, of football tactics books. He's, he's had a sudden midlife boost.
3: All the Ted Lasso fans who bought Inverting the Pyramid must be gutted in the same way that my friend Nick watched Star Wars and saw Alec Guinness was in it. So then found all the Alec Guinness films in the Radio Times and was deeply disappointed that they were all a bit, <laughs> they were not like Star Wars. Anyway, that'll do for today. Uh, thanks, Barry. You're welcome. Uh, cheers, Barney. Cheers. Thank you, Nadan.
0: Thank you very much.
3: Uh, Football Weekly is produced by Joel Grove. Our executive producer is Daniel Stevens, got a Europod tomorrow.
0: This is The Guardian.